On this episode of The Edge, Orion Talent CEO Sarah Piker joins ClearEdge Marketing CEO and founder Leslie Vickery for a wide-ranging conversation centered on leadership. The pair discuss topics such as how getting uncomfortable helps you grow, why you should lead with your strengths, and more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Edge Podcast. I am your host, Leslie Vickery, CEO and founder of Clear Edge Marketing. For those of you new to the Edge, we feature executive women in the recruitment industry in an effort to shine the light on the wonderful women leading our industry forward and for up-and-comers. If they can see it, women in executive roles, and understand the day in the life of the C-suite, they can certainly envision and be it. For today's episode, it brings me great pleasure to welcome Sarah Piker, CEO of Orion Talent. Prior to, joining, yeah, prior to joining Orion Talent, Sarah spent over 21 years in various roles at Manpower Group, most recently as Senior Vice President of their RPO business. She's always been in HR and talent management since the outset of her career, but realized early on it wasn't HR that she loved. Sarah loved recruiting. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, Leslie. Sarah, before we dive into your story, for those who maybe aren't familiar with Orion Talent, why don't we share a little bit of background about the company? Yeah. Orion Talent is a provider of design-led solutions that deliver winning talent. We are headquartered in North Carolina with offices throughout the U.S. as well as work-from-home employees in almost every state. Our roots are in military talent solutions, and we have a strong diversity focus as we continue to expand our solutions, which include RPO, professional search, military search, direct sourcing and contingent workforce solutions, and higher purpose, diversity outreach and talent attraction. Thank you for sharing that. Let's take a look back at your career journey. I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you got started in the staffing industry and really what stands out to you as a pivotal moment that got you to where you are today. Well, thanks, Leslie. It's so nice to be here with you. And my story is actually not very typical. I got into the staffing industry in a pretty direct way. During high school, I had an internship with a Sheraton Hotel in Denver, and I rotated through all the departments, and I loved the business and how diverse and fun the people were. So I decided to go to Michigan State University to study hospitality business. And as I was graduating and interviewing with hotel companies, one of the recruiters asked if I wanted a career in the front or back of the house, as they do in hotels. And I said, I'd actually like your job traveling around and interviewing students to be the staff at hotels sounds pretty great. So she suggested that I start in HR. So after five years of working in HR in various hotels, I decided that I loved the recruiting aspect of HR and I forged a career in recruiting outside of hospitality. So it was pretty direct. But that conversation with that college recruiter was one of the pivotal moments and decisions that I made because it was the first career decision I made really based on what I liked. And it was right out of school. And so it's not typical to go into hospitality school and start your career in HR. And so the pivot of leaving the hospitality business and then going from HR generalist to recruiting was another important decision. But I've learned about myself over the last, you know, 20, however many years it's been, (laughs) are the pivotal moments in my career, like moving my family to Europe and leaving a company that I enjoyed and had many meaty roles in for 20 years were really important decisions that I made based on knowing what I like to do, because what you like to do is usually what you're good at. 
Well, you're one of the lucky ones, Sarah, to know that coming out of school to fall in love with something so quickly. And I agree with you completely. If you love what you do and you're really good at it, it's a match made in heaven there and go green. I've got a lot of family members. I'm from Michigan with the Sparties over there. So good to know that commonality as well. Sarah, you could have stayed at Manpower Group and moved your way up the ranks or moved to a smaller company and taken on the role of CEO, ultimately run the company. Enter Orion Talent. While interviewing, you had a really interesting experience. So you had recently turned 50 and you were diagnosed with breast cancer. You told me when mortality faces you, you really need to start to think about what's next. Well, first of all, I'm sure the listeners are wondering, I'm really happy to report that you are cancer-free, which is such a blessing. And while we were prepping for this podcast, we talked about your experience and how Orion reacted when you told them and your view on bringing your whole self to work. We also talked about the importance of people not feeling like they're alone. One in eight women are diagnosed with breast cancer and how you were willing to share your story. Listen, I'm already a huge fan of Orion Talent, as you know, but your experience made me love them even more. Please walk us through your experience and what made you decide to ultimately make a move and run a company. Yeah, well, I really appreciate that, Leslie. We're a big fan of yours too. (laughs) Yeah, 2021 was quite a year for me. I uh, turned 50 in February last year and was diagnosed with breast cancer on my birthday. So happy birthday. But when that C word enters your life, you really do take stock. And I had been with Manpower Group for over 20 years, as you mentioned, and I had a very dynamic and fulfilling career with the company and I was happy. So when I thought about what it would take for me to leave, because you know I'd been thinking about that for a long time, what would it actually take for me to leave this company? It always came down to something bigger, like a CEO or president role of a smaller organization than Manpower and really owning it all. So when the opportunity to interview for the Orion CEO was in front of me, I was really drawn to Orion's purpose and I decided to explore it. And I knew from years and years in recruiting and from my own experience that finding a culture fit is probably the most important thing to get right. And I thrive in environments where people work hard, are focused on a mission, but it's okay to bring your whole self to work. And so I started the interview process with Orion in June, only four months after my diagnosis and two months after my surgery. So at that time, thankfully, I knew I was cancer-free, but the diagnosis was still very raw and still very much a part of my reality. And so during my final interview, which was in July, as we were closing the meeting, I shared my diagnosis with the interview team. And my friends, you know, I was telling my friends this, and they thought I was crazy (laughs) for doing this because what what if that scared them away? And I just said to my friends, that if it scared him away, it wasn't an organization that I would want to work for. And I meant that by exhibiting the behavior and culture that I would want to work on creating and gaining their acceptance. I knew this was an organization where my style would fit. And, you know, I'm very open about most things. And I do feel like people need to know they're not alone. We all need support systems. And so I'm very open about talking about my cancer experience. First of all, again, Thank you for being open to sharing your story with all of us on the podcast. I think I told you 
in prep that this is the first time that someone has really opened up about an illness. And that was so important to you to bring that to your interview. So they knew you in the fullest way of knowing who you are. And the fact that knowing that that's the type of culture you want to build and create and that they have it is such a great match for you coming in in the CEO role and really taking over. And I bet those in the company who know you and get to know you and all of those good things, just really appreciate that of you because we all go through things through life. And oftentimes we feel like we are alone and doing this by ourselves, or maybe our family know and our close friends, there's a saying, you spend more time with the people you work with and they become, you know, more like family even too. And to be able to learn that from you as a leader is a really special gift you're giving your team because you're ultimately giving them permission to bring their whole selves to work, whatever that may be. So again, kudos to you for, for doing that and sharing your story with us here today. Well, thank you. And it's really important for me that people do feel like they can bring their home selves to work. I mean, we've seen so much change in the last few years on authenticity and people are looking for flexibility and people are just looking for a different kind of purpose for coming to work. And I am a firm believer that if we can provide people with a safe place at work and an environment that is interesting and continuously a place where people can learn and grow, that that's a winning combination. So thanks, Leslie. I agree. All good. All right. Well, Sarah, in a recent women's business collaborative study, which was in collaboration with all of the associations pretty much in our industry. So the ASA, SIA, and TechServe, along with other executives specific to the recruitment industry, the study found that 48% of women employees made up entry-level positions. So almost 50-50 male-female entry-level. And as you rise up the ranks, those numbers dramatically decreased. Layer on top of that, women of color, the numbers are even less. So for example, when you get into the C-suite, 21% are women and only 4% represent women of color. You've risen up the ranks in our industry, right? Over the years, you firsthand are now in the C-suite. Again, congratulations. It's pretty incredible. It's a small number where you've made it and you've known plenty of people over the years in the industry. What have you seen or what do you believe we as an industry can do to kind of lessen that gap? So obviously there are more women in the C-suite and on boards. In other words, you know, equality, Um, is it succession planning? You know, what is it that you think we as an industry can do to make an impact on those statistics? Yeah. Well, you know, you're right. The numbers are really staggering. The past few years have also just really set us back because overwhelmingly women left the workforce to take care of children or family during the lockdown and remote schooling. You know, you've probably seen this, but since February of 2020, the economy has experienced a net loss of 4.2 million jobs and women accounted over 57% of those losses. So companies seeking diversity, whether it's increasing women in leadership roles, hiring more racially and ethnic diverse backgrounds, veterans, LGBTQIA+, or any other underrepresented group needs to be part of the overarching company strategy. Consciousness needs to be at the forefront of recruiting and hiring, creating communities, BRG groups, and leadership development programs, then consciously inviting underrepresented groups and including all of the backgrounds is just critically important. 
I couldn't agree with you more, Sarah. We, even us as a company, and you know, I do a lot of work in, in DE&I, we're also looking at that as a company and our own hiring practices and, and what we do as an example. And when I look around our industry, there just isn't a lot of diversity. And one of the things that we talk about often, at least, is really looking at that pipeline of talent and having to really diversify where you look for that talent and be really intentional about it. And I was talking on a panel earlier this week, and one of the panelists was talking about how when you know you're hiring for different types of roles, right, there are some that are kind of urgent and critical and some that you can pipeline for and to always be pipelining, basically. So there's no excuse where if you're always just hiring for critical roles, then it's going to be really hard, especially in our industry when there isn't a lot of diversity. But if we can start pipelining for positions, you know, I mean, even look at your company, you know what percentage you're going to grow for the most part, right? Depending on the economy and so forth. If you look at, well, how many sales reps, how many recruiters, how much talent in this skill set, what will we need? We can all start to do a better job in workforce planning and then working with the right communities and organizations and so forth to get the talent. So it's something that's super top of mind for us too. Yeah, it's exactly right. And that consciousness and intention is so important when it comes to women in leadership roles, or really just becoming more diverse as an organization. And when you can pipeline, you know, upskilling and reskilling is becoming a really big thing right now at the talent shortage. So upskilling and reskilling is a really good way to focus on your diversity efforts as well, where you can really focus on making sure you're bringing in the talent in the organization that is diverse upskilling and reskilling them and getting them ready for the next roles. And I think that's just very, very important because it, it just has to be conscious. We have to really think about it in order to make a change. Yep. Very intentional. All right. Well, Sarah, you shared with me a story speaking about intentional, some of the best leadership lessons you picked up over the years, including if you're not getting what you need, that you need to take it over and fix it and how you have to ask for what you want. I'd love to hear you share that story with our audience. (laughs) Sure. You know, it's the best story. It doesn't make me look great, but I'd be happy to share it with you. I believe you are in charge of your career, not your boss, not your mentor, but you. And I learned this lesson a couple of ways and a couple of different experiences. When I made the move from HR to recruiting, I was a recruiter for a company called TRI, which is a RPO company. And at the time, the CEO decided to split the sourcing and recruiting efforts. So as I was a recruiter, I would now need to rely on a sourcer to help me find candidates. And in my view, this strategy wasn't working. And I was an outspoken complainer about how badly it just wasn't working. (laughs) And so the CEO said to me, well, then, Sarah, I'm going to put you in charge of fixing it. That was a big lesson for me because one, don't complain without a solution. That was the first lesson. And the second lesson was strategy is set by leadership. So position yourself in a way where leadership relies on you for feedback and solutions, but don't complain about the strategy. I also learned that you have to ask for what you want. And I think this is really hard, especially for women, to really have an understanding of what you do want and then put yourself in a position and ask for it. So CRI was acquired by Manpower in 2008. And at the time of the acquisition, I wasn't sure what it would mean being acquired by such a huge global organization. 
but I was excited about the potential opportunity for international assignments. So I've always loved to travel and I've always been curious about different cultures and always thought it'd be amazing for me and my family to have the opportunity to live in a different country. And I wanted to do that while my kids were young. So when we were acquired, I made sure that my leaders and honestly, anybody that would really listen (laughs) knew that if there was an opportunity for an international assignment that I'd be interested. I didn't start with, you know, I will go to X location or I will only go if the job is X. I just said I would love to explore international opportunities. So there were a few opportunities, one short-term potential assignment in Taiwan. There was one potential opportunity in Brazil. Neither of those ended up panning out for me. But then I went to a global RPO meeting in Spain. And I was sitting next to the RPO leader from the UK, and we started talking. And shortly after the meeting, he called and asked if I would come to the UK to train his team on some components of RPO. So of course I said yes. And after the training, he asked if I would consider moving to the UK. And I told him I would absolutely consider an expat assignment, but at the time Manpower didn't have an expat program. So if we could figure something out that wasn't permanent, I would absolutely consider it. So shortly thereafter, he came back and offered me a two-year assignment to build and lead the RPO practice in EMEA. After two years, they asked me to stay for three. I said, yes. (laughs) After three years, they asked if I would stay for five. I said, yes, but I need these three conditions. And they said, okay. So after five years, they asked if I would stay longer. And at that point, my husband and I had to decide where we wanted to really finish our children's education. So our oldest son was at the age to start high school and our youngest son was at the age to start middle school. And the kind of visa that we had didn't allow us to get UK citizenship. And I also knew that I would have more opportunities to grow my career here in the US. So we decided to return. But this international experience was so profound for me and my family for that matter, but both personally and professionally, it was probably one of the best things I ever did. Oh, that's incredible. And one of the things I love about what you're talking about, Sarah, one of the many things would be being your own career champion. It is something we talk about quite often and really putting yourself out there. And if you don't ask for it, you don't get yes. So way to go on doing that again and being vulnerable to share some of these stories. So (laughs) put yourself out there again to lead by example. Well, you mentioned you have a passion for travel. And that it started actually at a really young age, you talked about being an exchange student in Brazil. So maybe you can talk about how this experience really shaped your love of travel, but something I'd love for you to touch on because another topic that women often struggle with is the confidence side of it. So it sounds like in talking to you, it really helped build your confidence. And I'd love to hear how that happened and then also how that impacts you today. Sure. So I've always loved to travel. I mean, it's, it's just in me, the whole process of travel, you know, seeing different things, meeting different people, eating the different food. I just love everything about it. My mom studied in Denmark when she was in college. And then when my parents were first married, they lived in the UK. So travel has always been positively reinforced in my family. So in high school, my parents supported me in my decision to be exchange student. And so I went to Brazil This was my first experience of really being out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, let me tell you, it was definitely uncomfortable at times. But when you're out of your comfort zone and, and at a young age like this, you start to learn patience, 
resilience, adaptability, cultural acceptance. And when you're accepted by others while you're outside of your comfort zone, it starts to create confidence. It's really hard to make the decision to do something out of your comfort zone, but when you do, it's amazing what it can do for you. And throughout my career, every time I've stepped out of my comfort zone, I've grown and gained more confidence. My international experience running Europe, that was very far out of my comfort zone, but I got so much confidence from that because when you're successful and you're out of your comfort zone, that's when you really grow. That is very true. Have to take some of those risks and do different things to continue down that growth path. So thank you for sharing that story. Sarah, let's talk a little bit about your family. You have two boys and early on you and your husband agreed that you'd either have a nanny, they'd go to daycare or your husband would stay home. And you said, and I really appreciate this because this is exactly how I feel. It didn't mean that I wasn't a good mother. I'm just not a good stay at home mom. And the importance of recognizing really what drives you. So I think, again, a lot of people listening can appreciate what you were going through. And I'm curious to hear a little bit, looking back on the various stages of climbing in your career and the boys getting older, what do you reflect on and feel like others would benefit from knowing? I think this just goes back to knowing you and what drives you. I knew I always wanted a family and children. That wasn't ever a question for me, but I also wanted a career. And when my husband and I were talking about having kids, I was working, my career was blossoming. I was gaining a lot of confidence. My identity was wrapped up in work, a lot of friendships, and I just loved to work. So when we started talking about it, I shared with him that I just didn't want to be a stay-at-home parent. And we could look at daycares or nannies, or he could stay home, but staying at home just wasn't in the cards for me. And ultimately he decided that he wanted to give it a go. And so we decided that we'd try him staying at home with the kids and it worked out for us, but this is such a personal decision. Being a stay at home parent, you need a very special skill set, And I knew I didn't have it. I knew I could be a better mother by not staying home. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. I still have a ton of mom guilt. You know, am I working too much? Am I spending enough time with the family? Am I traveling too much? But my husband has always been a constant for our boys and he helps me through my mom guilt. So it works for us. But I think the best thing we did was talk about expectations early. And while we decided he would stay home, it was a trial. We both decided that if he was unhappy, we knew we could always shift gears and try a different path. And so it wasn't something that we said, this is, this has to be forever. It ended up being forever, but that wasn't necessarily how it started. It's interesting, Sarah, when I look at this podcast and we've been doing it for a few years now, and last year as part of SIA's global 150 list, when they were doing the celebration and so forth, Bullhorn sponsors it. And Gretchen Kiefner, who's an executive there had asked me, you know, you talk to a lot of these executives. Could you maybe share with me some of the commonalities that you hear on the podcast? And I have to tell you, one of the things that stands out is exactly this topic where we, yes, of course, the mom guilt piece. I think we all struggle with that pretty much just innate guilt in general for me for the most part, but thinking about something that really stands out that a lot of people don't talk about is the husband's staying home and taking care of and helping raise 
the kids while the wives are, you know, taking their turn at growing their career. And oftentimes it was just that it could be an overseas job where then they couldn't work because of work visas and so forth. And then that just turning into having a family and kind of growing into that role. And when we think about breaking down stereotypes and being really open-minded to different things, having those open conversations, the more we can normalize it, the better. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's wrap up with a few rapid fire questions here for you. Are you ready? Oh gosh. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) Well, this time has flown by. Okay. Turning point that changed your life forever. Hmm. Having kids. I would agree. That has definitely changed my life for me. I always say, and I don't know if this comes out the wrong way, but it's the best gift I never knew I wanted because we were not expecting to have kids and then did. And it definitely changed my life in the best way possible. All right. What is one thing you will not compromise on when it comes to wellness and balance? Well, you know, in 2020 during lockdown, I started going on a walk every day and then it turned into getting my 10,000 steps in a day. And now it is a ritual that I have to do every day, get my walk, get my 10,000 steps in. I need to take that. Speaking of advice, what is the single best piece of career advice? I'm going to switch this up a little bit you'd give to your younger self? Trust your gut. Mm, I love it. All right. This is the one I'm always kind of nervous to hear what people have to say, but what is, because you just never know. What is one thing people would be surprised to find out about you? Oh gosh. (laughs) Well, I'm a pretty open book, but I think people might be surprised to know I have a magnet collection with over 700 magnets from the places I've traveled. Wow. Okay. Where are they displayed? It's a little kooky. In my (laughs) office, I have a metal wall that has them all hanging on it. So I look at it every day. And if you think about all the stories, so we collect ornaments everywhere we go. What I love about it is remembering the stories of those trips. So every time we decorate our Christmas tree, we can be reminded of that. So for you, it's got to be pretty rewarding. 700 is incredible. That means you do have a love for travel, but to think of all of those stories that go with the magnets is pretty cool. Full disclosure, there are a few repeats. Yeah. And and once people find out I have the collection, I do get them as gifts. So Ah, full disclosure, but I I collected most of them. Yeah. Well, they all have a little story then. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing your story, being so open and transparent and vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such great advice. You've given us a lot to think about. If someone listening to the podcast would like to connect with you, what is your preferred method of outreach? LinkedIn is great for me, actually. Okay. Fantastic, Sarah. Thank you again. Thanks, Leslie. Thanks for listening to The Edge. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and subscribe to it in iTunes. Feel free to email Leslie at lvickery at clearedgemarketing.com and let us know if you have questions, would like to be a guest, or suggest a potential guest, or share topics you'd like to see in the future.